Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has 22 years of law enforcement analysis experience. He spent time with the Washington Baltimore Haida as a crime mapping program manager, and he is now the senior solutions engineer with Esri. He's here to talk about GIS and security operations. Please welcome one of my oldest and dearest friends, Kevin Armstrong. Kevin, how are we doing? Hey, I'm good. Long time, no see. Yeah, too long, actually. As I was preparing for this interview, there's when that first job that you have when you're 20s is almost comparable to your high school years once you get a little older. And so I was I was thinking about some of the dumb stuff and conversations that we had during those 20s. It makes me laugh because those are a little bit like our, our high school days that, you know, that we didn't have together, but we had our 20s together. Yeah, those those lunches were kind of remind me of like high school cafeteria (laughs) times. Good, good times. Oh, yeah. All right. So I do. I am going to cut out a little part of the show with talking a little bit about that. But we'll we'll save that towards the end. Let's let's start from the beginning. Then how did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession? Oh, have to really hold down the rewind button. (laughs) It's probably I say 1998. I was still a student at, at University of Maryland, Baltimore County, UMBC, and I was in the geography program and took a GIS class. And I also worked in the GIS lab there. And we actually did a project for Baltimore County Police Department. And we were basically kind of recreating all of their police districts and beats, all the geography they had. And I met Phil Cantor, who was who's kind of <laughs> ran their 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 unit up there at Baltimore County and, and just through work with Phil and, and actually going up to, to Towson and touring their office and seeing what they did was was my introduction. So the GIS side of it was was pretty boring. Like we were just digitizing. Actually we were in Arc Info on a digitizing table, but yeah, but just seeing actually how that data was used and, and some of the work they were doing was really opened my eyes to what was possible. So when you first go to UMBC, what was your plan or what was your dream to do once you got out of college? I I didn't I didn't even know what GIS was going into mm-hmm. UMBC. And I was originally a, a biology major, but in as you progress through that you start getting into more and more microbiology and, and some chemistry classes I just that was not for me. And and I had a friend, I, I played ice hockey at, at UMBC and a friend on the, the hockey team said, hey, I'm taking this cartography class. And I was like, oh, really? And and I looked at his book and I was like, oh, this looks pretty cool. I love maps. I'm going to do, I'm going to check this out. And I think that was probably somewhere in fall of 97. I was like, oh, I'm going to take this cartography class. And from there, I was just like, yep, this is my major. This is what I want to do. And yeah, the rest is history. So then how did you get introduced to Haida? Uh, same place, UMBC uh, geography program. Another a fellow student of mine by the name of Joe Ryan, <laughs> who <laughs> we were friends. We knew each other through the, through geography and, and hung out. And um, Joe graduated ahead of me. I think it was a year ahead of me. And he had worked at the Washington Baltimore Haida. That's where he started out. And they had an opening. And I had, I had just graduated and was looking for a job. And I think Joe posted something to either through the program or something. I forget how exactly I, I found that or, or just personally talking with Joe, but he said, hey, we got this opening for someone in at the Haida to do some GIS work and analysis. And I was like, oh, awesome. Let me apply for it. And yeah, I think January 2001, I started at, at Haida. It always makes me laugh when I think about this time, just to the technology. It was probably what, uh, ArcGIS 3? <laughs> Maybe was, 3.1? Yeah. I can't so, remember when. ArcView 3 was probably still the primary. That's what everybody had on their, their computer at the time. I think Arc Map was released, but still in its very early adoption stages. Eight, I think it, 8.1, 8.0, 8.1, one of the first few releases. So yeah, 
RG3 was by far still the, the main software everyone was using. Yeah, but we also had Map Info. Who did, who did we? Who did you always debate with about the different? With like, Kyle, Matt. yeah, Kyle, Kyle. Beardsley. Our, he was our intern from College Park. Yeah, he we because they I think they used they were using Map Info if I'm not mistaken. Oh. At the height of when I got there, and so I, I was kind of I had used ArcGIS products, ArcGIS all through college, and that's what that's what I knew. But I was like, all right, I'll try this out, and I was like, oh my goodness, this there's I just I remember always saying to Kyle, I was like, dude, there's such an easier way to do this. Let me show you this, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and eventually I I think I I I taught we actually talked to I think our Esri rep and said, Hey, could we get a evaluation copy or something? And, and just kind of actually it was Wayne Sweeney, who actually I work with to this day. He was, nice. he was my, our Esri rep. And yeah, we, we got a copy of ArcView in there. And then yeah, Kyle and I just, <laughs> we were always back and forth, like who could do it better? It was, it was fun though. It was, it was a great kind of yeah. little competition for us. Yeah. Do you remember the nickname that you gave Map Info? <laughs> Crap info. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he, he was arguing at the time, so he called it ass view. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was good times. Oh man. So, so when you get to this job <laughs> and you're doing all this work and it's, it's a high intensity drug trafficking area is what Ida stands for. So they're dealing with multi-jurisdictional, obviously dealing with drugs. So what kind of tasks are you, are you doing when you first start at Haida? Oh, it's just, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of work because there were so many, I forget how many jurisdictions were, were within the Haida region. I mean, probably 20 to 25, at least initially the Haida kind of expanded as while I was there to down into Northern Virginia. And, and I think that supporting the initiatives that were run out of the Haida was the big thing, right? Back then mm -hmm. it was, it was getting cell tower load. very today things I mean, just so much easier today but back then it was getting a spreadsheet of of cell phone tower locations making them making a poster right and <laughs> mapping out the locations and and labeling maps okay here's ping one and and a lot of work for court cases right so where's the 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 home address of, of the victim home address of the perpetrator and here's the, the towers they hit so a lot of that kind of work and mm -hmm. But also much larger scope stuff. Like we did a lot of work with Baltimore City Police, mapping out drug calls for service hotspots, repeat address mapping, finding what are the top ten addresses or or street blocks within the each district that had the most drug calls for service. Things like that was I mean that that kind of work to me was was really really cool. I loved kind of doing that stuff and trying to find new ways to to visualize data for that made sense to the police but also was was kind of meaningful yeah it was it's fascinating like how much work goes into it back then that just doesn't get i mean you just don't have to do it oh now, my goodness right? yeah it's just like yeah. you talk about bringing in the data and geocoding it and yeah getting the shape files and getting the right <laughs> layers of information and it, everything was so manual you literally had to click on the layer to bring it up and it's just it just doesn't seem it's it was to me when i think back about it it was so antiquated it's hard for me to believe it was 20 years ago it seems like it should be like so so much longer given like where we are today well yeah i think that the biggest geocoding even today if you get bad data geocoding is going to take take your time but back then yeah the the hours and hours spent basically rematching bad day bad addresses trying to figure out okay there's no north or south on this it's it's north charles street or is it south charles street I, you kind of had to look at other other crimes and other look hints within the data like hey here this is what happened or or find a cross street referenced in a description that oh okay yeah it's south like yeah that stuff was mind-numbing I, I think that the other really difficult part was just data. I, I just reaching out to each jurisdiction because online there was some sort of be, the beginnings of, of kind of web mapping and you could maybe connect to some some online sources. But I mean, I just had CDs and CDs and CDs of <laughs> shape files of, of center lines and I got to get the center lines for this county and the center lines for that county. 
I need to get their police districts. And I mean, it was just, and it was more an imagery, right? I want to get imagery because I need that for, for uh, a court case or something. And it was way more data than we could store on our, <laughs> our personal <laughs> computers. And like, so I just, I just remember having CD towers of, of data and just constantly have to go to it to, okay, I need, I need to do a map of Montgomery County, Maryland, and I need to pull just the, the street center lines. I need to find the police geography. It was just that file management. Like even once we got network storage, which is great, mm-hmm. just the management, this time spent managing folder structures and making sure you could find things. It was just, that is, that is something I realized that it was so antiquated. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> just, I just take remember. for granted search now. I can find oh. anything with just a simple text search. And back then it was like, no, you, you, if this project was going to be successful, you had to have a good folder structure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I just think of now you go to, you Google an address and you can bring up aerial photos and all of oh, that. Yeah. And yep. We had that 20 years ago, but again, it had to be a layer. We had to have it loaded and ready to go, and you're clicking on it, and it's rendering, yep. and oh man, it was, it was just, just one. It was just one yep. time. There was no updates for it, so it could that aerial photo could be three or four years old. It wasn't like yep. now where it's it seems like they're updating it multiple times a year but yeah so it's even even simple things like geocoding like you had to build your own you had to grab street center lines merge them together build a build your own geocoder and then when they updated the data the next year you had to you know get the new data (laughs) it was yeah Uh, it was cleaning cleaning data uh, was a big task that we had to do oh my goodness yeah right yep man yeah for Um, sure Oh, geez. So, so what was that one? You you mentioned the plotter and the plotter is something else that I've talked about on this show from time to time. And I, I don't believe the newer generation will appreciate the plotter. (laughs) Like they have, well, I have no idea, (laughs) but I just remember the time that you got a new plotter and it was basically looked like the front end of a car. I mean, it was just massive. (laughs) And yep. And the fact that it was, I think we were impressed because it could take like 10 megs or something. I can't remember the specs of it, but I I remember at the time thinking like, whoa, that's a lot of data that it can take. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they do may still make plotters, but it, they probably are in gigs and terabytes now that they can accept. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The level that, of detail. We, that was the main method of distributing maps right i mean it was all the work we did essentially Mm -hmm. came out through that plotter and i mean you might email a pdf or something Mm -hmm. small every once in a while but yeah that was man you you became an expert at troubleshooting plotters undoing paper jams and (laughs) and just yeah reloading Uh, paper in record time and and just oh my goodness yeah and then you had like the what do you call that the clear film or whatever it is so you could do just an overlay right yep we had right. multiple different paper types yeah man back yeah. then i remember the one special ink we got that it wouldn't wear out in sunlight like because I, I remember we used to have that problem <laughs> we used to have that problem with some of the maps we would print out they would just fade and someone will come back a year later like you printed out i remember that i don't even remember that washington dc gang map that we did like probably one of the most popular maps that we printed and, and sent to people. Like I would reprint that for people after a while because they would hang it in their office and you buy a window and it would just completely fade out. Oh, <laughs> and they bring it back it's... and you're like, oh my goodness, what happened to that thing? Was that the yeah. one with the with the density colors? That, that was the, so we did kind of, that was probably the, sh- the shootings map. The gang map mm. was when we, we actually sat down with, I remember Frank Morgan and I'm trying to think of who else it was, where we sat down with a couple of folks from MPD or gang investigators and actually went through, okay, what are the known gang areas within the district? And, mm. and they, we just kind of over course of a, a few weeks, we kind of worked with them here and there to come up with okay here's ms13 there in this area and this area and it was i, I bet you i still have a <laughs> i probably still have a jpeg of that some, some somewhere in a thumb drive oh yeah if you but, find it yeah. i'll put it in the i'll put it in the show notes yeah i'll find that 
<laughs> you had the plotter, you had access to the plotter, then people were coming to you to print stuff out all the time. What was that one program that the Washington Baltimore Haida led where they had to go to all the different other Haidas and come up with the strategic plan? Oh, do, right. Do that you was remember the, that? Was that yeah, what, PMP, what, like performance management? process yeah. or something yeah. yeah the Haida since it's a it's a, a federally funded initiative and and mm -hmm. it's it's obviously very politically charged in some areas right hey I want to I want a Haida in my district and, and things like mm. that so because it was always a political funding was a political thing you people were always asking the Haida like what is, is it really are we really getting our money's worth like they're all constantly having to defend the budget and the, the sure. initiatives and the work and so that I think that PMP was kind of like the first formalized thing, height wide, to say, look, this is these are the goals you want to set, and at each height, and this is the work we're going to do, and and we're going to measure it. But part of that was it was this giant spreadsheet, and yeah. I remember printing <laughs> like e-size sheet with all these different because some hiders are very big, like ours was probably one of the largest I think because we had not just law enforcement there's also prevention and and a bunch of other things so it just a lot of different units and then setting goals for each unit but yeah e-size um, sheet of of a spreadsheet <laughs> to, this, to this day it's the it was the largest spreadsheet that i've ever seen printed out yes yep yep i mean it was just the the sheets came in 36 inch rolls three yeah. feet and that it would be three feet sometimes three feet by three feet or three feet by four three feet by four feet yeah yeah yep. and that would be and it there might be 50 plus rows 50 plus columns or whatever oh, it ended up it, i remember know. having like eight or ten point font on this <laughs> some of those cells like it was you printed it was a poster you printed out but you like put it on the table and you had to lean in to like Dude. read the text yeah <laughs> Oh man, yeah. it was just so much work because they'd make a change, you need a new oh printout. Goodness, yeah. <laughs> make a change, you need a new printout, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I used to hate that. Like in the morning, it's like, can I get a printout of whatever the the sheet for this Haida? And you're like, I know today I'm going to print that out at least five more times. <laughs> and it's like, okay, here's the printout. You give it to them, and 30 minutes later, everybody's sitting around it at a table and they're making edits. And I'm like, okay, oh, you make these changes and. <laughs> print this out again i don't know how much paper we i would love oh. love 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 to know how many feet of paper <laughs> went through that plotter in the, the six years i was there that was yeah. uh, something else so all right well i do want to move away from Haida, but before i do in 2001 i was an intern with you and joe and i just wanted to tell this story real quick there was another intern at the same time as uh -huh. me and we called her intern holly because your wife's name was also holly so we had to differentiate right. between the two hollies so we had intern right. holly and so we were both doing our gis work and helping you guys out and the story i want to tell is so she comes to your cubicle and sees that you have a picture of a sheriff and she goes to you and says oh how do you know the sheriff who is this sheriff and <laughs> your reaction was just like you don't know who that is and i by that point i had looked over the thing i was like oh my gosh and so it was roscoe bico train <laughs> from the dukes of hazard <laughs> and she did not know who it was now today i would not fault you if you don't know who roscoe pico train is but uh, I would. at the time <laughs> at the time i was like how do you not know who that who that is and i remember we made such a such a big deal <laughs> that like we were like how do you not know who that is roscoe pico train hey oh. here's a here's a trivia for you what what does the p stand for oh, i do not know that's a, that's a good a good good trivia question. It stands for uh, Purvis. P-U-R-V-I-S. That's Roscoe's oh, middle name. Man. There you go. You learned something valuable today. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Everybody's gonna be googling Dukes of Hazard. Like what is yeah. this? <laughs> so let's move on then, because you leave Haida and you move down to the Carolinas and you take mm -hmm. an analyst job with Gastonia. So 
what are you doing with Gastonia? Is it a new program? Are you the sole analyst? Yes, I think it was 2007. Mm-hmm. We we moved down to Charlotte, and yeah, I took a job as an analyst at, at Gastonia Police Department. The city of Gastonia is a suburb of Charlotte. It's just just west of of Charlotte, and I was an analyst. One of we had two two full time and one one part time analyst, if I remember correctly. And yeah, city police department. So it was crime analysis. It was, you know, any and all requests from within the department, from the public, and mainly doing GIS work, reporting all the different things going on within the, the police department there. Uh, so it's a lot of data. So this is, I mean, this is late aughts. So I mean, it's still a lot of data management, and a lot of data pulling, right? Yeah, absolutely. It was still, it, everything was file-based. Um, yeah, we we had some some good data management already. I mean, they had scripts running each night that pulled the previous day's incidents and and calls for service and things like that. So data was was available. So if um we got a ton of public requests. We used to get those every every week. It was hey, we got an email from this person. They their their daughter's moving to uh, getting her first place, right? Getting her first apartment. Hey, what's the crime like in here? Let's, oh, let's ask the police God. department. So yeah, it was so I'd I'd get an address and basically create a map. Hey, or you know, within a mile or so, what are what are just summary of all the um, different types of crimes going on around there. And I, I used to, I had a, a little kind of model builder thing that I built to kind of try to automate some of that stuff. And that was where I think I, I first kind of got got the idea. I was like, I, I know we could do this, like make make some sort of self-service kind of mapping. I was like, because I was, I was going to wear out doing the same thing over and over and over mm-hmm. again. I was like, I, I, there's got to be a way we can do this. And that's where I think I really, I actually contacted the local Esri office. I was like, I think we could do this with Arc IMS. And that was, that was the technology back then. And mm. um, I remember just, I talked to one of the sales reps. We had a, a call or two and I, th- I think we could do this and we could have a public website where people could just type in their address and we could, they could just get this information at their leisure. Now, back then it's obviously not like the technology we have today. So which just was just so, so simple today, but back then it was, it was much more involved. We ended up not, not actually purchasing the software and, but that kind of exposed me a little bit to like the local Esri office and, and I actually met a few of that year I went to the, the users conference in, in San Diego and actually met a bunch of people from the, the local office because we were was talking to some of the solution engineers there and, and they were just describing what they what they do. I was like, man, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I was like, I, like, you don't have to make maps for when someone calls and and says, Hey, I'm thinking of buying a rental property. Can you tell mm-hmm. me how many? Yeah, I was like, Oh man, this looks great. And yeah, so I, I actually ended up applying and they had, uh, oddly enough, somebody had, they just had an opening for a solution engineer and yeah, I applied and went through the, the rigorous kind of onboard hiring process and, and yeah, and I got the job yeah. and it's, yeah. it's been what, 16 years now. Yeah. That's another thing I think about too. You talked about the public request stuff. I mean, there was whole, what is it? Is it crime maps, crime mapping? What What is that company? Yeah. Crimemapping.com. Tri- Crimemapping.com. Yeah. I mean, that's that. Now you just go there. It's a website. It's all self-service. Oh yeah. But yeah. we had this a lot in Cincinnati because Ohio has pretty open sunshine laws that mm-hmm. we were just man. The people were just one after the other after the other. Try given asking for for data, right. and it it just became like could really bog down analyst units because they oh were goodness, the ones yeah. they were the ones that were most likely to receive that. I remember one I remember the first time I heard of crimemapping.com and this is like I would called somebody looking for information and on their outgoing message they're like if you're looking for data visit crimemapping.com/police department. Yeah. And yep. that that was the first time I ever heard that, and I thought, oh, that's that's kind of convenient. They don't even have to take the call; they just point you point you in the right direction <laughs> and don't even have to talk to you. But the, the two the two things that I that really do take up, at least in my experience, all the time with the public records requests like that, mm-hmm. and and like preparation for Comstat. 
Oh yeah. Like I, I remember deal, working with several departments, even at the Haida, where the analysts were like, we spend three to four days a week getting ready for yeah. Friday set. And if we can do any sort of proactive work in between then, we do it. But you also have records requests and things like that. It's it really is obviously comstat data driven decisions are are obviously what we what the goal is and all. But mm-hmm. man, I tell you, depending on the, the 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 amount of work you have to do, comstat can eat up an analyst's time for sure. Yeah. No, I remember at Baltimore when I was there, that was five or six people's job was geocoding the data getting yeah. the the three the big three ring binders printed out for all the executives <laughs> getting the maps and charts ready to display on the projector and one monday through wednesday was all prep for the thursday comstat and then thursday afternoon into friday would be some catch-up time yeah. but yep. that's and that was just rinse and repeat like that's yeah. what those those folks did their, their full-time job was just preparing for comp staff. Yeah. And I've, I've worked, I had the opportunity to work with a lot of different police departments just through, through Esri. I, I've seen that kind of process just become so much easier now. And, and Comstat isn't a PowerPoint anymore. It's not a three ring binder, right? It's, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a web app, right? It's a dashboard. It's interactive. You can say, Hey, let's, let's apply this filter for this district and see what it looks like. It's, it's amazingly easier now. And, and, and which is a great thing because it's still absolutely necessary, but you also have the ability to now spend some time on other things besides you know, printing out a 200 page <laughs> booklet. It is, I mean, it is interesting though, in a, in a way, <laughs> I think you could make the argument that it's not necessary. And what I mean by that is, I think it was Eric Pisa that brought this to my attention when I had him on the my show here, is that when Comstat was created, most people didn't have access to the data. So they needed to come to this meeting to actually see what the data is. And yep. today you're not waiting for a meeting to get data. I mean, you've got mm-hmm. data at your fingertips all the time. And so in a way, I think what what's always happens at almost any meeting that I've ever been a part of, especially at police departments, is these types of meetings start out really good. They're new. You're you're learning different stuff about maybe different departments or different problems, but they eventually get stale. Yeah. Eventually, it's the same thing week after week, or maybe For it's sure. so repetitive and it just loses its steam and there, it just isn't helpful anymore. And I think the, that's the I think the big challenge is keeping those meetings productive. And I, I think once p- police departments are so much about routine. And so much about standard operating procedure and doing things maybe this the same way. It, it's hard to fight that tendency to keep to keep it changed, keep it keep it interesting and useful for everybody. Yeah, one of the most dangerous statements you hear is "We've always done it that way." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and I mean, and that's really usually what it takes to get something really changed at a police department right. is you get an either a new captain or new chief and then everybody starts questioning stuff and and why you're doing that and there's all this other stuff and it just it's not until then that you really really see change and you 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 do stuff until someone tells you not to basically right exactly hi this is matthew smith and i have a public service announcement when you are walking in a building and somebody is coming behind you, please hold the door for them. Give them that common courtesy. And at the same time, if somebody is holding the door for you, just say thank you. It just drives me crazy when people don't say thanks. It's it's one of my pet peeves. And I think if we all just got along and, and said please and thank you, we would get a lot further in this society. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Jamie Roush, and I have a really important public service announcement for you. No one wants to hear your conversation on speakerphone in a public restroom. It's awkward for you and for anyone else who comes in. No conversation is that important.
before we go on to Esri, do you feel that when you're seeing these police departments and you're talking with these executives, is what you were seeing at Gastonia still occurring today, or do you think that's something in the past? Being able to visit a lot of different police departments and, and just kind of see how things work. Yeah, they're absolutely still many places where it's it's an analyst with even even ArcMath, like an old older software who is just cranking out maps and because that's the way we've always done it right and, and it's mm -hmm. still see see that quite a bit and it's i mean it's it's how technology is though right a lot of folks are are slower to adopt new technology new workflows and it's yeah, it's it's kind of painful to see like you because you, our job at, at at least my job is to always obviously promote the the newest workflows and the newest software and right you know, and new ways of doing things. But yeah, there are plenty of times where you realize you're like you know what the things are probably going to stay here until there's new leadership or something like that. They're just not going to change. And it's it's tough because when you see somebody doing something and you know that there's a a way to do that that's way easier. And but that's the way they've always done it. It's you're like, well, I we tried. <laughs> we've tried. We've we've said that. I've come out of a lot of different meetings with with some folks in our staff that I I work with a sales rep, right? And we go out, and I just say, you know, all we can do is try. But it's it's tough to change habits that are very ingrained, right? And but at the same time, we also see plenty of police departments that are doing amazing jobs and 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 really using the most out of the technology and and getting the most out of out of it and making really sound decisions based on good analysis. I mean there's it, it's a whole spectrum of, of from one end to the other of of departments in there. But I'd I'd love to see the the tail end of that <laughs> catch up and be fewer and fewer, but it's, it's, it just isn't in, in some ways. Yeah. So what, what do you think should be ideal, right? I mean, it, certainly there's so many different departments out there, different sizes, different budgets, but I, I guess from your perspective, given your GIS background and what you, what you've seen, what, what should be ideal? In an ideal world, you have budget, right? To me, that's the constant fight right? You, it's it's very difficult to do a lot on a small budget. If you only have one analyst and you only have budget for a limited amount of software, you, you really, you can't expect miracles out of that. But but what I will say is, is as an analyst, right, you're, obviously your, your job, you have a wide range of responsibilities and, and you're doing a lot of different work, but the most successful units, even smaller units that I see are ones that are constantly advertising their work, right? And because you can't sit there and wait for projects to come to you or, or people who aren't familiar, fully familiar with what GIS can do to come with you and like, hey, I had this idea. You think we could do this with with GIS, you have to be very proactive and get out to the department and, and sell what you can do because there is just so much we can do these days uh, with GIS. I mean, the technology has gone from just a simple desktop kind of software to a complete, you've got desktop, you've got web software, mobile software that police departments can use and get a lot out of. So, but if you're not out there selling that, when it comes around budget time, they're like, oh yeah, that's the person that makes maps, right? Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> Even at Haida, I remember doing that. I remember because we had our our main building in in Greenbelt down just outside DC, but we had initiatives up in like up at Dorsey Road by near Baltimore and and a couple other places and even different floors of the building. Right, I I was on the I think third floor. A lot of initiatives were on the fourth floor, so you you would mm -hmm. never see these people, but mm -hmm. I would I would make poster like almost <laughs> like billboards. <laughs> I remember the one it's like back when the Got Milk commercials were big, I put Got Maps, like <laughs> the same go. font. And I just had all these, like, a, here's a, an example. Like, we would do things like they do a drug buy, and it, and we'd say, okay, isn't it within a thousand feet of a school parcel or something like that, right? And so I'd put, like, an example of that, an example of a, some uh, cell phone mapping and, and uh, other things. And I just post those up at multiple buildings on different floors with all my contact info on them because I'm not seeing these people regularly, but we, we want to get out and sell the idea of GIS to, to all these people. And, 
And that was actually pretty successful. I had a lot of people come up from different initiatives like, oh, I didn't know you guys did this stuff. And and then we would just expand the amount of work we were we were able to do. Yeah. It's, it's, but we were fortunate because our director at the time, like Tom Carr, he, he, he knew the value of GIS, I think, from the beginning. So he was always, you know, our advocate, I think, which is great. But mm-hmm. not every police chief is going to be that way. Not every sergeant or captain is going to be that way. So, yeah, you really have yeah. to sell your abilities and throughout the department. Yeah, it's interesting. I, when I had Christopher Bruce on, he said at one point in time he was worried that law enforcement analysts were spending too much time mapping. Like that yeah. was too much of their job. And he feels in some regards, it's almost gone 180 degrees because so many things are automated. They're not hardly spending any time mapping. So it's it's interesting that you don't necessarily have a lot of people talking about mapping, per se. I mean, Esri is always a staple at the conferences, right? And they're always teaching the product. But it is interesting that you don't necessarily hear people talking as much about mapping as as we did 15 20 years ago do you agree with that yeah yes uh i mean i think it depends on the type of mapping right i Mm -hmm. i think because mapping technology is so ubiquitous now i mean you can embed a map in anything i mean you buy a Mm -hmm. cad system or an rms system they can have a mapping module within them right or yeah. Um, so the idea of just, hey, I just want to see a map with some dots on it. Yeah, that is absolutely everywhere and easy to do. And it can be done whether you're using Esri technology or not. It's mm-hmm. you know, everybody's able to make a, a simple map. But I think the that's where I think as an analyst, you expand beyond just putting the dots on the map, right? Or, or making a kernel mm-hmm. density map or something. It's it's understanding hot spots and cold spots and and doing more advanced analytics. And that really, I think, is what analysts should be striving to do is is more more analytical work than just back when I was, we were doing a lot of this at Haida and, and all, just putting the dots on the map was, was not something everybody was, they just didn't see that. So it was, the bar was pretty low to impress people, I think, and, and really give them meaningful information. But now I think it's gotten higher because you see maps everywhere but oh. is is the map meaningful yeah and and i think it also is interesting too with esri and police departments is usually the city normally has some kind of gis or component to to it because of planning when i had chris delaney on also a co-worker of yours there at esri mm-hmm. he says it's I forget exactly what he want to say. Maybe every other conference, he talks with analysts, and the police department probably could just tap into the city's license, and yeah. it's going to be at a lot, lot uh, lower cost to you. It's probably our product isn't probably nearly as expensive as people think it is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's a many, especially the larger cities have enterprise agreements, which basically allows all departments of the city or county or to to use the software right so mm-hmm. it's it's an unlimited use license agreement so yeah absolutely that's what when I worked at Gastonia that was how how we got software was the city had an enterprise agreement so we could get desktop and and server and, and all that technology without without having to go through procurement and eventually some some cities or counties might have like a cost share, like, hey, you had a few of these licenses, so you contribute a little bit of money to to the pot to pay for the enterprise agreement. But yeah, in general, most medium to large size cities and counties have some sort of enterprise agreement. Good deal. Let's move on to Esri then. As I mentioned in the beginning of the show, we were we want to talk a little bit about GIS and security operations. What are some cool things you've been doing in the last 16 years? Well, I'll tell you that a lot of work Obviously, spending time with police departments doing your kind of standard crime analysis workflows, but a lot recently has I've been spending a lot of time doing special events. So think just your like here in Charlotte, you have the Carolina Panthers who have eight to nine home games a year. You have a college bowl game at the stadium. You have a marathon every year, countless festivals and things like that that the police department obviously is is supporting from a manpower perspective and and also kind of command and control. And we've been doing a ton of work helping with that kind of 
GIS support. So tracking where all your officers in the field real in real time, live updates of weather, traffic and accidents and things like that. So building out GIS capabilities around these kind of special events. We did a lot of work at the Republican National Convention was here in Charlotte in 2020. And so the president's here and, and we were tracking all of CMPD, or not all, but a, a good chunk of CMPD and, and Charlotte Fire folks that they had out on the working security out and around the convention center. All the civil unrest too, things like that, tracking bike patrols and, and things like like that. Where and we've been doing a lot of work around around those sorts of things. And that's not necessarily a, a crime analyst typical workflow, but definitely something that you can enable in, in a police department that's not necessarily a, a typical kind of desktop analysis thing, but but absolutely needed. When it comes to the planned events that you described that are large in nature, whether it was the, the Republican National Convention or a Super Bowl or something that's date and time, it's very specific. You have your boundaries, per se, of what you're responsible for. While it's nice to know your boundaries, there's still a lot going on in a very small area. So I would imagine that that's a pretty big challenge for you. Yeah, what's the saying, you know, no plan survives first contact, right? It's it's <laughs> always interesting. I remember during the, I, I think it was during the RNC, so there were protests going on around the convention center, obviously while the president was there, and we were tracking the bike patrol. So they had a bunch of officers on bikes, and they had a, a meeting area they, they, they had for anybody who wants to protest. You can meet here, you can march. We, we They set aside, actually, I think a kind of a route for them to take if they wanted to if they wanted to protest which I think is actually great you're at least you're allowing it but you're kind of in in some way shape or form controlling it but mm-hmm. during I remember at night during one of those protests somebody stole one of the police bikes like what well, it just things didn't really get out of hand but I think it was an officer was off the bike maybe I, I don't know if they're doing a field interview or whatever but somebody essentially just took the bike and ran and pedaled it off but in the back pouch <laughs> of the bike they had the mobile device that we were tracking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so in very short order, they were able to find the bike <laughs> and the person still on it <laughs> and deal with it. So it was, it was really, you can't even was steal a, cool a bike story. anymore without getting away no, with it anymore. Right. I tell you yeah. what, geez. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It was, it was a really cool anecdote to, that just proves the technology and, and the, the, the workflow, but really, really, really funny story. In these same areas, though, with some of these events, you got different levels, right? So it's not just a two-dimensional area that you're studying. You have the various levels, especially at stadiums, for instance, is a good example there of different activity going on in different levels and, and obviously trying to maintain and understand that. Yeah, that's so a lot of a lot of what the RNC and all these other events are a lot of it is primarily outdoors. But yes, that's one area that is to me is very exciting is indoor tracking. We've actually done done a few kind of test cases around that exact workflow. We actually one was in an NFL stadium without naming the stadium and and the workflow because it was some of it was still kind of very early on and, and really just test phase. But we did work with one NFL stadium where the police department was you know, primarily in charge of, of outdoor security, you know, road closures, things like that. But they also had a fairly large number of people inside the stadium and down into obviously on the side of the field. And so they wanted to, to be able to track everyone as they moved from outside the stadium to inside the stadium. And of course, there's multiple floors. And so we actually, we we tested out some indoor tracking technology. So basically using the phone and there's, there's a couple different ways of, of doing it, but calibrating the phone, once you get inside, turning on tracking and then following that device uh, as it moves around inside uh, the stadium. And we had some, I mean, mixed results. Some, some were, some devices were, were very good. Some not so good. It really kind of depended on the device and, and the calibration, but really I think promising technology in the same way that GPS enabled so many different workflows, right? You, you catch an Uber or something, right? It's mm-hmm. it's all GPS based, but this indoor technology, I think is that next step 
and will unlock a ton of new workflows, uh, especially in the security space. So if you think about knowing where all your guards are and being able to, okay, we have an incident and at this entrance to the stadium and I see that, oh, I've got, I've got three people on the inside right by that door. And just knowing everyone's real-time location within the building is, is absolutely powerful. Same thing with school resource officers. You think of like a, a school shooting situation or a barricaded um, suspect and just knowing where all of your people are inside the building in real time is, is absolutely powerful. And we're doing a lot of work with, with that now. And it's really exciting to see. We did this at, at the San Diego Users Conference last year because Esri, we hire security, security guards to work the exhibit hall doors, right? Make sure everybody has a badge and all that kind of stuff. But we, we handed out iPhones and enabled indoor positioning using the Wi-Fi signal of the convention center. And so we, in the morning, the, the guards would show up. We'd hand out, we had about 30 phones um, with field maps on them, turn on tracking, put in their pocket. And then our security director had um, a real-time feed of where all the guards were because we're paying them to be at, you know, Hall A door checking badges and Hall B. And really, really, really neat. And see, it's interesting from your vantage point and what you're describing here, you're just referencing employees, right? But there's all other kinds of people walking around with phones in these areas as well. Right. And it just makes it just makes me wonder if the in some of these big events you're talking about, like the the president and the national convention and everything else if the if the NSA doesn't have everything turned on <laughs> like, do they know do they know where everybody that has that has a device do they know where they are yeah that's for the record we are not tracking any attendees of the NSA users conference <laughs> not yeah not I don't want to get you in trouble anyways yeah anyway shape or form no we don't we don't track that but yeah that it really is an interesting technology and it's it's kind of it's it's really maturing fast i mean even to the point of we have a uh, companies working on kind of next gen 911 stuff so if i'm in a in a 30 story building and i call 911 and I can tell you that we want the dispatcher to be able to get that 3D location from that device, right? So this is this is technology that is is here today, but still obviously not all the kinks are worked out, not nearly as accurate as probably we want it to be, but mm-hmm. it is there and we're kind of on the cusp of it. It's, it's probably going to be much more mainstream in five years. I could see that kind of capability being much more widespread. Yeah, need more than just that long, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. At Z value. So, huh. All right. Well, good deal. Let's let's go on then to talk about some advice for our listeners. If, uh, given your GIS background, what's your advice for somebody maybe that are, is uh, looking to get into the field or maybe an, an analyst? What would you suggest to them on what they can learn more about? Oh, um, I would say that obviously to me when you're when you're kind of going into this field and i mean the kind of the gis field there's there's kind of two paths right you can you can be a gis professional which which is really what i am i i focus on the software learning how to use it building up skills for for applying that to uh, all the different workflows that, that I have in, in whatever agency I'm in. Um, and, but your, your main focus is on software and technology. Um, so you're, you're kind of that GIS pathway. Or you can be sort of a professional who uses GIS, right? GIS is one of the tools you use. Like you might want to be more of an Intel analyst. And GIS is one of the tools you use in your daily job but it's not what you do every day right so i think Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of the first path you you probably decide on do i really love gis and i love the software and 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 new technology and all that stuff and and i want to do that every day or is it really powerful i understand it but there's also other things that i want to do and focus on and i will use gis but it's not the thing i do every day right i I have a Mm -hmm. It's just one of the tools in my toolbox. Um, so that's kind of the, to me, the first path you you really decide on is is which way do I want to go? For our listeners, especially those that are looking to maybe get into the field or still undecided about what they want to do, the the mapping portion of it is probably one of the most stable, 
right? I mean, you're going to have records management systems. You're going to have different law enforcement analyst software come and go. And whether it's link charting or, or social yeah. media analysis, they're, they're going to come and go. But because of the, the mapping software being tied to city planning is probably one of the more stable softwares to learn that you can be pretty confident that it's still going to be around in 30 plus years. Oh, absolutely. I, I remember <laughs> my intro to GIS class. I don't know if it was the first day, but it was very early on. My professor saying he wrote GIS on the board and he said, this stands for guaranteed income source. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, nice. if you learn, if you learn this technology, it will be a guaranteed income source there because it's applicable to so many different fields, right? Not just law enforcement, but all, all the way across. Like you just said, the planning department uses it, even in government, private sector. So military, there, there's so much use of GIS software that it really is hard to not find a job in, in the in the industry. Yeah, well, it's always going to answer the question where, yep, right? One absolutely. of the key questions, so. And this other piece of advice I, I wanna talk about is is based on a, a lunch bunch conversation that we had 20 years ago. And uh, it was a, a, a little bit of a debate between you and Joe Ryan about the importance of what you wear during a presentation. And it's, I, I don't know why I thought about that this week, but I did. And I thought, man, I'm going to see if Kevin's views on what you should wear during a presentation have changed over the last 20 years. I think I, I will say it has, but it's not in the way you think, right? It has, but it's gone even farther. <laughs> that it absolutely doesn't matter at all because we all worked from home for having <laughs> and did countless presentations with my pajamas on and just a nice shirt, right? Just <laughs> but I 100%, uh, yes, Joe and I used to, and I think this stemmed from my interview at Haida. So I, I think I came to my interview, I, and it was, it was colder. So I had like, I had my big UMBC ice hockey jacket on, like, cause it was cold mm -hmm. outside. And I think I just, I don't, I don't know if I had a shirt and tie or not. I think I maybe just had like a button up and a pair of khakis or something. And, and, mm. and it was, it was sort of an informal interview, but I remember after the process and, and we started having this conversation, Joe was telling me, yeah, we had, I don't know how many candidates for that position, but like they were all dressed, dressed up so nice. Like he said, <laughs> it matters when we, we would just go back and forth. He's like, Joe is all about <laughs> I want somebody in a suit and tie, like I, I respect them and all this stuff. And I was like, Joe, who got the job, dude? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I was the least dressed, the least dressed up person of all the candidates. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I remember the debate is like the, what are the words coming out of my mouth? Right. And yeah. Yeah. Am, am I credible when I talk? Is the facts, uh, yeah. am I explaining it well? Do you do you understand what I am saying? And right. whether I'm in flip-flops or $1,000 shoes, it, it's the same message, right? So yeah. if I think that, I remember that being your point is like, yeah. do I know what I'm talking about or not? Then right. if I do, then what difference does it make what clothes I have on? Hey, one of the one of the greatest salesmen ever, Steve Jobs, right? He wore jeans and tennis shoes on all his presentations. <laughs> Here's the iPhone. It was it wasn't what he was wearing, right? If he had a suit and tie, I think it would have been awkward, right? I, I just don't <laughs> think it'd, be, it'd just be weird. When, I mean, some of the I mean, look at politicians, right? Stressed <laughs> people <laughs> in suits and ties, and I'm, I'm not listening to a word they're saying, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I, yeah, I would love to get Joe's take on that now, you know, 20 <laughs> years later, but I, I will stand by my opinion that no, yeah. it does not matter. Obviously, barring extremes, right? You're not yeah. in a tank top and presenting a ComStat meeting. I've thought this for a long time. I, it was an awesome opportunity for me to work with you and Joe when I was an intern. And I always thought that this concept of 
there's art and science behind everything that you do. There's going to be some things when you can talk very technical, and then there's maybe the salesman portion of what you're discussing. And I, I always thought that you were the science and Joe was the art. And not that you guys couldn't do the other. I'm not saying that you couldn't do the, the art or that Joe couldn't do the science. But I always thought that you guys were a really good tandem because Joe can sell and yeah. and you had that science of like that grounded nature of like, OK, we can either do it or not do it or we this is the timeline and whatnot. And I found, I always thought that Joe was the definitely the salesman. And it's it's interesting that that's your two point of views on dress because that also <laughs> feeds into that conversation. Yeah, it's it's funny because you say art and science, like that's exactly what cartography is. I remember re learning that day one of class, like cartography is an art and a science, right? It's the science behind having accurate data, but it's also the art of presenting it in a way that people understand it. And I think that's, you know, going back to, law enforcement analysis and things like that. I remember that was always the struggle. I remember with with at the Haida, we were we were producing maps for from very small police departments to very large ones and and a, a really wide audience was doing some really good analysis but but then taking that and, and presenting it in a way that someone's going to understand it. And that was always the the tough part. I remember going at you'd make just a simple like hotspot map, right? Running the kernel mm -hmm. density tool. And, and of course the output in the legend is it's incidents per square mile, or it's just mm -hmm. this crazy kind of decimal. And I remember always going in and, and converting that to graphics, deleting all the numbers and saying low, low crime, high crime, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just, <Yeah. laughs> just make it, make it simple. Right. I, mm -hmm. And and I and I've seen this throughout my time at Esri and everywhere else. Like simple almost always wins. If you can make something simple, even if behind the scenes is very complex, if you can make it seem simple and make it easy to use, it it will it will get used. I mean, iPhone same way. Extremely complex hardware and software behind the scenes, but just a very simple product right to, to use so yeah it's, it's the same way in, in gis very good all right let's finish up with personal interest then and you got your pilot's license a couple years back <laughs> well yes technically i did get my uas pilot license <laughs> but yeah officially part 107 certified drone operator so i can which essentially means you can you can be paid to fly a drone, oh. whether you're doing mapping or just streaming live video or things like that, taking photos of houses for real estate agents, or any, anything that you essentially get paid for requires a, a part 107 license. Jeez, oh, that, that, those drone shows, it reminds me of the early pixel days, right? I don't know if you've seen any of those drone shows that oh, they yeah. have yep. now. It, it, to me, it's, when I think about that, I was like, oh, that's just pixels. And someday, 20 years from now, it's going to be like 4K up there. Yeah. <laughs> like it's going to be, it's going to be ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, now you just have like 60. So you got like 60 pixels in there that you're trying to make a pattern with. But eventually right. you're going to have thousands up there. Yeah. I saw one that was in, I think it was in Dubai. They had like a giant, dragon that they were simulating that was circling around the Burj Khalifa, like the tallest building uh, there. Mm -hmm. And it was just unreal to see. Yeah, it, it's also another technology, definitely much more mature these days than it was 10 years ago, but, and also being used by law enforcement, but yeah. it, it's amazing the, the different, all the different technologies that, that have some sort of spatial component, right? That are that are out there now that, that can be used. All right. Hey, I just wanted to take some time to go back to down memory lane a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you have a story that you want to share, but I actually have one that I'd like to share. <laughs> and uh, it's the oil changing story. Do you remember that? I don't know how you could not forget that, right? So, so for our listeners... This is, I can't, maybe, maybe your daughter was just born. I can't remember. I don't think, I don't, I can't remember if it was before your daughter was born or not. Yeah. But anyway, I was, my sister had asked me to change the oil in, in her Saturn. 
and I had never changed the oil in a Saturn before, but she said, hey, it wasn't normal motor oil. It was the synthetic. He said, yeah, it's all yeah. synthetic. And I was like, okay, I had, I had, again, I had never changed uh, synthetic oil before, so I had no idea in my head what that is. So I go, hey, I go to you, Kev. I said, hey, can I come over? Because I, I used your, your I ramps. And so he said, yeah, he said, yeah, but I, you said, hey, but can you be done by a certain time? Because Holly and I have a date night that night. And I said, oh, yeah, I was like, it's only getting, it's not going to take me long to change that oil at all, right? It's the, I'll be, I'll be in and out half hour flat. So he's like, okay, so I get there, I put the ramps up and I go to drain the oil. And I was like, oh, man, this oil really looks weird. It's awfully red. It was like, it's red. I was like, all right, well, hey, maybe that's what how it comes out, right? And so... I change the oil and get all done and I'm ready to go. And I go to back the car off the ramps and the car won't move. And that is because I drained the transmission fluid. And so <laughs> that meant that I had empty transmission fluid and now and no twice as much oil in the engine as needed because it had both old and no new in it. So, yeah. <laughs> right? So now I'm like, all right, we're like $30 into this. Now I got to go get everything new. And I had spilled a little bit of it. And oh my I, gosh. You had you oil got, in your hair. Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> I had oil in my hair because then I was like, oh, you have, you have to take me to Walmart because now yeah. I need to go get all this stuff. So I got oil in my hair at Walmart, which probably didn't, didn't face him at all. But it was right. just, I was a mess. <laughs> And I remember the icing on the cake for this is you were obviously out there helping me and everything else. And I had spilled oil and somebody was going door to door in your neighborhood asking you to sign a petition about like keeping <laughs> keeping the water clean or something like that. It was some environmental like thing. And when you signed it, you actually got some oil on the <laughs> On the, on the side, we had oil everywhere, on, and we were on the street, mind you. I forgot to say right, that we yeah. were on the street, right? The street and we had spilled yeah, all this the stuff, and of yeah. course, and of course, I'm doing the PG version because I did a lot of swearing when I was doing all this stuff. And mind you, the the thirty the thirty dollar thirty minute task that I was hoping for was more like a hundred dollars and three hours and I had totally ruined the your date night and you guys were totally really understanding with me but I think about that story from time to time and it makes me chuckle yeah I just I'm, I'm at that point where my my kids are my daughter just just started college but my my uh, middle son is is now driving and each one every time they once they get their license, or actually a little bit before, I'm like, all right, this is how you change the oil. You got to take care of the car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while, I think back to the day we walked into Walmart covered in oil. <laughs> what a great time. Oh, man. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Oh, Good times. Yeah. Did you have a Did you have a story that you wanted to share? It's okay. I have a, a a story that I wasn't part of, at least the initial one, and and it was I forget I don't know where I was that day, but you and Joe were having a debate about something, and Joe was and, and I don't know what it was like a playground thing. <laughs> and all of a yeah. I was like, well, I'm faster than you are. <laughs> uh, no, no way. You can't beat me in a race. <laughs> And you guys literally stopped lunch, went downstairs, <laughs> lined up next to each other in the parking lot, and had like a 40-yard test. We did. And Joe, to his credit, did beat me. I want to say he beat me by about four or five yeah. feet, if memory serves me correctly. He'll he'll probably tell you it's more than was like four or five lengths, but I think right, it was about right, four right. to five feet. But yes, yes, that's what, that's what we did. We did that. I don't know how that came up, but yeah, uh, yeah that's what we did. I would have loved to have been a part of that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but I just remember the disbelief and in my mind when I heard the story the next day at work. I was like, you did what in the parking lot? <laughs> oh, yes. As I said, it was our 20s and we, yep. we talked about a lot of things. We thought we had all the answers. We... uh 
Oh, watched a lot of ridiculous <laughs> videos during lunch. Oh my gosh, played paper football. We had a paper oh, yeah. football yep. tournament at at lunch. At lunch, oh. yeah, I remember that. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, so our last segment of the show, Kevin, is words to the world, and this is where I give you the last word. You can promote any idea that you wish. What are your words to the world? I would like to just reiterate that all the great work that we do as analysts and all the great analysis and everything is is really just one part of of the puzzle is communicating that work effectively to leadership to fellow colleagues is is the second part and and to be truly successful and really kind of drive change in your organization and all that you you have to be understood and so I think probably one of the most important things is is communicating with others in in sometimes complex topics, right? Being able to boil those down to very understandable parts and and have others who aren't analysts who who aren't technical to be able to understand the work you've done, um, so that so that it can be implemented and you can really uh, be a you know a force for change in in your agency. Very good. Well, I leave every guest with you've given me just enough to talk bad about you later. But I do appreciate you being on the show, Cap. Thank you so much, and you be safe. All right, you too. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.